The views and opinions expressed by guests on this program are not necessarily the views of Thinking Bigger Business Media, Inc. or its employees. Welcome to Smart Companies Thinking Bigger Radio. Get the inside scoop on how America's most successful business owners transform their entrepreneurial vision into reality. And listen in as some of the top business minds in the country serve up practical advice, tips, and insights for growing your business. Now, here's your host, Kelly Scanlon. Good morning. Welcome to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. And we are searching for the 10 best grandmothers in Missouri. The Magic of Marceline Development Company and Farmland Foods are sponsoring a search to find the 10 best grandmothers in Missouri. Winners will each receive $1,250 in cash and $1,250 will go to charity. To enter, go to magicofmarceline.com. That's magicofmarceline.com. The deadline has been extended to August the 15th, so make sure that you go to magicofmarceline.com and nominate your grandmother. It's sponsored by Magic of Marceline Development Company and Farmland Foods. Good luck to all the grandmothers out there in Missouri. Our guest today is Jerry Eisterhold. He is the owner and founder of Vox Vineyards, and he's here today to talk with us about his love of the history of winemaking in Missouri, in the Midwest, what he's doing as part of that history, creating history himself now, and uh, really following in the footsteps of a renowned viticulturist, Thomas Bolney Munson, and American heritage grapes that he brought to the region, or brought to the world's attention, actually, and uh, now Jerry is helping to bring them to our attention. Welcome to the show today, Jerry. Thanks. It's good to be here. Okay. What piqued your interest in grapes and in viticulture? Uh, it wasn't a peaking. It was a, sort of an organic thing from the from birth. Uh, oh, okay. It goes way back. Uh, raised, by, raised amongst the Germans in the, up, in the Gasconade River upstream from Herman. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of what you do. Um, and... As I uh, you know, became uh, adult and capable of reading, I could then read books about some of these Germans um, that all, many of them played significant uh, roles on the world stage. Uh, the guy who started the program at, U- at MU went on to start the program at UC Davis, which was the first uh, to sort of quantify and qualify some of, the, some of the things that you need to do to have consistent good grape productions out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, another, another guy, uh, Charles Valentine Riley, sort of developed or identified the, uh, the phylloxera bug that was devastating the vineyards yes. of Europe at the time. Right. Uh, this other person, Thomas Volney Munson, was uh, the one that base, that sort of is credited. He's the one who they built statues to. Uh, with saving the European wine industry based on the you know the prior work of, of Riley, and there are others. There's a, a Frederick Munch was a Presbyterian minister out of Neosho, Missouri, mm-hmm. that corresponded and sent sent cuttings to Munson for him to work with, and there's another person called Herman Jaeger, also from that neck of the woods. That is, uh, he and Munson were both given. Uh, the you know the the medals that you only give to four Americans kind of thing fr- mm-hmm. by the uh, by the French government. What time period are we talking about here? We're talking 18, in the eighteen prior to the Civil War, okay. going into the eighteen eighties and uh, nineteen. The eighteen ninety three Columbia Exposition is where Munson put together a book 
that was based on the definitive exhibit that he put together for the for the agricultural pavilion for for that and that's the book that i found that listed all of his grapes and all of his all of this victorian boosterism that said this is a wonderful so and so and so and so but you don't know i mean everybody was talking that way i mean about every child or piece of dirt or whatever there was back then <laughs> so you don't really know what um what he what that meant mm-hmm. but uh munson was also a prolific writer inventor and philosopher and one of his philosophies was that you can't just have an idea without really carrying it through in conversation with you know the work of your hands so that's the the part of it that i thought i'd pick up the uh, the the baton as it were and try to figure out what some of these grapes actually meant, you know, today, where we are, mm-hmm. using uh, current technologies and knowledge. Right. And I, I believe going along with that conversation with your hands, the idea and the conversation, Marion, with your hands, you've, I read that you said you can't really know what a grape is like until you make the wine from it. Uh, some, I'm paraphrasing you, but something along that line. So you start out with 60 grapes, I believe. More, more or less. Okay. There's um, there's there's a kind of a fuzzy boundary between be, around how many grapes there were because um, if you several in several instances we would order a cut a, a bundle of cuttings and mm-hmm. it would have a label on it that said this is thus but it would come up as clearly three different grapes so now I got three grapes okay on the other hand you'd get other bundles that were labeled differently and they sure look like the same thing to me. <laughs> So and then there's these occasional sports that would just sort of pop in randomly. Mm-hmm. So uh to be quite frank, I haven't even walked through the vineyard to count what's in there because it's just it's just an existential exercise. <laughs> okay, so roughly sixty. Roughly sixty. Roughly sixty. And down now to about forty and mm-hmm. you've said somewhere that you'd like to get down to about twenty. Uh how do you do that? Is it you make it and you think, eh, this doesn't really work out well? Uh, how, how do yeah, you? Yeah, and the um, so the, the the road to realizing how to get down to twenty comes mm-hmm. from uh, well, when you hire a professional consultant, they come in with a fresh perspective, and the fresh per- one fresh perspective was that we have more lots than Gallo is running. Wow! But Gallo's lots, uh, you know, every tank would be sort of fill this parking lot. Ours would fill, you know, wouldn't you couldn't even paint the bottom of the <laughs> Of the tank, <laughs> uh, but each of those lots has to be monitored, and it's way too much work. I mean, it, mm-hmm. it's, it's the monitoring becomes sort of overwhelms the actual process of paying attention to the wine. Mm-hmm. So we simply have to. Um, so we're gonna. But, uh, but the part about knowing what the wine is, you can't you can't taste the grape. Even if you got to California to Napa, you can't taste a Cabernet grape and say, "Oh, that's going right. to be thus and such." You have to go through the process of making the wine. Which is complicated here because we really don't know what the typical qualities of the wine is supposed to be. In Napa, they kind of have settled on what, mm-hmm. what a Pinot is supposed to be, what exactly. is it supposed to be. Uh, and here we're kind of, the, the database has no entries. Yeah, you're still defining that, which is a surprise in some ways because uh, when you look at the history of winemaking here, it goes way back. But... Uh, nationally there hasn't been a lot of focus on it until really more recently uh, can you talk about what's elevated missouri wines on the national scene why why people are paying attention now maybe um i don't know i'm i i can't speak on behalf of the nation in general <laughs> but i i've been paying more attention to, to missouri wines uh I, I think as a rule technology has gotten a whole lot better mm. um 
I think uh, there is more in, of an interest in kind of locavore foods and, and whatnot. Uh, we are particularly, though, I'm trying to take the the stuff that is from this area, the genetic rootstock, as opposed to a focus on, say, the vinifera or French hybrids or those, right. those things that sort of came from someplace else, and seeing, seeing what they have to say. Um, so part of the interest has to be an interest in exploration and just discovery. It's not as though there's... Uh, a recognition of what a uh, Albania or a Watumka or any of those those strange grapes that I have, uh, you know, people aren't going to drive up saying, "My God, I want another one of those," because <laughs> they've never had them before. What are What are you offering through Box Vineyards right now? Uh, not uh, all sixty, obviously. No, we we um, you know, frankly, if you have uh, you have to kiss a few frogs. Mm-hmm. And the going from sixty to forty is 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 actually making some wine and saying, yeah, or that's too much like a Manischewitz or Concord thing, and who who needs that? So we we pull those. The selection process gets a little more difficult now in going from the forty to the twenty or wherever we end up, uh, because you know the, the less good is is just only slightly less right. good or slightly better. Um, so we're going to the, basically we've devoted this year to the gathering of data. So it may come down to which varieties are more susceptible to heat or which have, um, uh, you know, growth characteristics as opposed to flavors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What about the Missouri? You, you talk about uh, California, and it's got a more, I guess, temperate growing season. And, of course, we get harsh winters here, and we get very hot summers. What does that, what kind of impact does that have on grape growing here in Missouri? And then on the wines, too. Well, it's mainly the hot summers and the hot, humid summers. Uh, if you think about it, the, uh, uh, I'll back up a second. Back to this um, exhibit that Munson put together for mm-hmm. the USDA. He identified 31 genuses of grapes on the planet, of which 27 of them grew in the Midwest, because we have more genetic diversity here. Because you have the glaciated areas, you have the plains, you have the woodlands, mm-hmm. you have the Ozark Highlands, you have the Mississippi Delta, and wherever you have you know, the edges of ecozones coming together, you tend to have greater diversity in grapes, uh, freshwater fishes, and songbirds. <laughs> so there's a, there's an incredible amount of variety in the in the literal sense in Missouri. So you have all of this stock to pick from, and every seed that you plant, it's like uh, an apple seed. If you plant a seed from your yellow golden delicious apple, it will not be golden delicious. It will be something else. Every seed is its own unique thing. And every oh, Cabernet vine that you see in the world once came from a single plant that mm-hmm. has been asexually reproduced ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the variety is here, but the stuff is all adapted to this climate. So the grapes you know, survived the winters because uh-huh. if they hadn't, they would have died exactly. out millennia ago. Right. Um, the fungus is a little bit of a different story because the, the vines would survive even if they lost most of their fruit. They would just have to bear fruit, you know every mm-hmm. other year in order to keep the, their, um, their individual variety going. Uh, so that you have to fight. That's, that's a little bit of a struggle. But the, the, the grapes are, are made for this place. Why is it with all the variety that you talk about, and maybe I just have not done my homework on Missouri wines, but why is it that so many of the ones that I am offered, basically, uh, taste like the Concord grape then? What, what is, is that just because that's what people expect from Missouri wines, and so that's what people tend to make? Uh, it's just been my experience. Yeah, well, uh, if, if you think of the trajectory of, 
a bit, if you were taking out a bank loan and you were going to set up a business making wine, you'd want, you'd probably make something that people you know that were familiar with. Right. Uh, it's kind of uh, there's an incumbency to the way things have been done. Um, and that, so you would either plant vinifer grapes and try to make grow them in the Midwest, which mm-hmm. there's, you know, I'm going, he's doing that here. Um, and he's doing some pretty good stuff, but that's not the nature of, of, uh, our experiment. Are you would get some of those French hybrids that have had, um, there's an interesting side story that all those French hybrids, the uh, Vignol, Vidal, all of that, uh, came from. There, there was a single American uh, co- uh, variety called Jaeger 70 that made mm. it across to France, and mm-hmm. so all of those cells were developed for that one little mm-hmm. narrow slot in the gene pool. Um, but if uh, so, if, if you're if you're hoping to get shelf space at the local liquor store, which mm-hmm. uh, I shouldn't name anybody names, but you know you'll need a certain production, you need a certain recognizable characteristic. Um, and one of those characteristics is the Labrusca. And the B- Labrusca is very, very prolific, and it is what was planted in most of the grape-growing areas in, in the central Missouri yes. after Prohibition because okay. there was a safe market for going to Welch's to make into grape juice, etc. Yes. So there was, a, there was a known supply. Okay, so it also has a historical root in Prohibition then with the, the grape juice. So we're going to take a quick break. When we get back, we're going to be talking more about Vox Vineyards, their upcoming harvest, and how you might be able to participate. You're listening to Smart Companies Radio on Blog Tech Radio. We'll be right back. Interested in growing your business? Thinking Bigger Business Media has the resources you need to grow your company to the next level. Whether it's an aspiring business, a startup, established, or mature, Thinking Bigger provides the how-to strategies, critical connections, and key information to make your business more productive and more profitable. Check us out at ithinkbigger.com and find out what successful Kansas City business owners already know. Thinking Bigger Business Media is the resource for growing your businesses. Visit us today at www.ithinkbigger.com. Breakfast, a time to bring your family together over thick-cut, slow-smoked farmland bacon. It's savory, delicious farmland breakfast sausage. Every strip, every patty and link brings the sizzle. Breakfast is served. Come and get it. Farmland, passion for pork since 1959. Listen, as a hiring manager, I've got to tell you, the best job candidate isn't always the typical candidate. Sometimes they're a grad of life. Meet the grads of life. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. Sometimes the best candidates aren't the ones you're used to. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. We are searching for the 10 best grandmothers in Missouri. The Magic of Marceline Development Company and the Missouri Star Quilt Company are sponsoring a search to find the 10 best grandmothers in Missouri. Winners each receive $1,250 in cash and $1,250 for charity. To enter, go to magicofmarceline.com. That's magicofmarceline.com by pop. Popular demand deadline to enter has been extended to August 15th. Sponsored by Magic of Marceline Development Company and the Missouri Star Quilt Company. 
Good morning. Welcome back to Smart Companies Radio. I'm Kelly Scanlon, publisher of Thinking Bigger Business Media. We're visiting here this morning with the owner and founder of Vox Vineyards, Jerry Eisterhold. And as he talked about in the first part of the show, Missouri farm boy, uh, this getting in the dirt and working with the grapes and the vines is just something that uh, from a very early time he got interested in, was familiar with, and learned all about the history. And he's now working with... Uh, well, he was working with 60 different varieties of grapes, approximately. How's that down to 40? And trying to pare it down to 20 now. We were talking a little bit about why so much of Missouri wine uh, tastes like Concord grapes. And obviously, you're going just the opposite, that a lot of that has to do with the fact that uh, people come to expect a certain kind of taste, and that's what they expect. And so that's what they're given, really, in, you know, in the fight for shelf space. You're not going to introduce a lot of unproven um, stuff, but you're you're really flying in the opposite direction. And why why is it that you're wanting to bring out the individuality of all these different kinds of grapes? What's what's um, driving you to do that? Well, it's it's kind of an appreciation of um, place and time and who you are mm-hmm. and where you are. We do my my day job. We do history museums. Ah, so there's quite a few where we uh, even our minority museums. We've done probably more civil rights museums than anyone in the country. Which mm-hmm. is, even though you might not be the dominant culture, you still have a right to have a voice. Mm-hmm. And the thing, uh, the the broader perspective on the um, the wine industry is that if if um, if you had a if you're going to build a, a a business around making wine, putting it on the shelves, you um, you need to be sort of play it as commodity agriculture Absolutely. does. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Which is all about putting a consistent product out there all the time, every year. It's cheap, it's safe, it's reliable. It's what gives us all the ability to, to spend a very small portion of our income on what we eat. However, um, there's the opposite. And what we're doing is 180 degrees yes, opposite it is. of that. It's, it's trying to celebrate the specifics and the di- and the differences and some winemakers out in California, for instance, are, are doing that when they bottle wines from individual vineyards, um, and those individual vineyards are going to have something different to say every mm-hmm. year. So we're, we're kind of like that with the, the knob turned up. Yes, um, very much. <laughs> the other, the other um, I'll just, uh, a piece of advice for anyone who wants to follow in the footsteps is very important in terms of planning ahead, not to think about it. Because if we had, we'd realize it was way too much work, and we never would have done it. <laughs> Just jump so, in and do yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is good advice for any kind of business, really. So how many acres do you have? We have six acres in grapes. Okay. Um, that is because, as, as I said, I have a day job and a day business. And I, I read a book that said that you could manage two acres of grapes and still keep your sanity and your perspective and your job, et cetera. And then another book came along that said six. So I... I Embrace the next book, and I probably should have um, paid attention to the first have, one. Yeah, probably, probably, probably should have averaged the two. <laughs> okay. Now, you also collaborate with a lot of other um, people in the food industry. For example, Green Dirt Farm. Uh, talk to us about uh, those types of collaborations and what you're hoping to achieve by doing that. Well, um, Green Dirt Farm specifically is, is is all about sort of local products made mm-hmm. good, and they, they're, it's great cheese, and it actually goes quite well with the wine. So uh, it's um, you know a well a couple of years ago there was a, a person from MU called Elizabeth Barham who she was developing this whole idea of terroir, mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. like you know what are the characteristics of the food and the wine and the cheeses and so forth that come from a place and um, so it's those kinds of conversations that we have and and they're certainly kindred spirits in terms of um, and what we'll put out there, and we're talking to other folks who do sort of that same kind of ce- celebration of the stuff that comes from where you are, mm-hmm. um, and we'll you know talk about those when when the when we actually have something to talk about. I think. Yeah, I, I think that that conversation is actually broadening. Uh, you hear a lot more about the the local products these days than you used to. When I was growing up, it didn't matter. I mean, we never talked about where our food came from, but I think that there's a lot more emphasis on the local. Um, products, as you say, and I, I don't know what's driving what, if the conversation is making people more aware or if, for whatever reason, people are starting to demand that more, and so, therefore, it's happening. It's I'm not I, really sure which. I think we are now all surrounded by a, kind of a cloud of social media and Internet and more no- knowledge and more information where you can actually be informed and smarter about making very, very specific, distinct decisions about what it is that you eat and how you prepare it and so forth. Uh, so I think there's an information component to that, too, that is making all of that possible. Mm-hmm. Now, you have a harvest season that's coming up here pretty soon, and you're going to be offering wines to taste. Can you tell us about that? About a year ago, we engaged our winemaking instructor at UC Davis, because there was a while where we were taking, you know, basically commuting to, to Sacramento to take these courses. Mm-hmm. Um, so we hired uh, Clark Smith, who wrote a book called Postmodern Winemaking, which I would commend to any person out there who's interested in any subject, because it's, it's really an interesting philosophical discussion whether or not you're into winemaking. So he has helped us set up our protocols, and he's uh, now introduced us to a winemaker called Moss Bittner, who's going to be coming out and spending the harvest with us so that we can actually work out our procedures and protocols. Because uh, up to now, the last 20 years has just been spent collecting these little shards and bits of mm-hmm. cuttings because most of them are not available in nurseries um, and establishing a test row here and a test row there. Now we need to, to standardize the winemaking, at least so we can drive the, the truck. Um, Clark did take a bottle of our Norton out to California. To, uh, there was Dick Peterson himself and a, a sort of august group of winemakers, mm-hmm. and they said it was the best Norton in America they'd ever had. So I've, I've heard that you've got a very peppery Norton, from what I understand. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's uh, it's a pretty amazing Norton, if I may say so. Well, congratulations. Um, but during the harvest season, we're going to uh, you know we we need to involve people in the conversation, get their feedback, mm-hmm. and what they what they get, what they like, and what the flavors they draw out. So. Fridays, Saturdays, Sundays, through the harvest season, which is going to begin in the middle of August and run through October, mm-hmm. uh, we'll be putting on some sort of winemaking or um, or harvest event along with some food and something to make the make it all that kind of um, idyllic uh, Tom Sawyer Huckleberry thing. <laughs> Come on, this will be a lot of fun, uh, kind of. Uh, I have no doubt afternoon. that it will be. I'm eager to find out when the the dates are because you, I I might be able to get up there myself. Well, where be, where are you? You'll located? be gratified, exhausted, and uh, yeah, and full. Oh well, all the more reason to come. So where are you located? For anybody wondering. Uh, the address is 19310 Northwest Farley Hampton Road. Um, mm-hmm. What we tell people who are driving up is that they're not lost. They're just not there yet. <laughs> uh, it's pretty simple driving. It's, I mean, you turn left on 152, you turn left on Farley Hampton, and you're there. It's just two turns. Okay, so it's just up by the airport? It's If, if we, uh, yeah, we are directly west of the airport between okay. the flight paths. 
but of course, if you um, if you drove straight across, you would end up on the tarmac. But that's <laughs> illegal, apparently. I was going to say probably a little dangerous yeah. too. Okay, so we talked about the harvest. Uh, do you have any in stores? Are they available in other places? Where? How far along are you in the whole process? We are working on our labeling process and bottling, and uh, we have uh, some some of that is scheduled over the next couple of months. So we it's not like we have enough stock to actually you know have shelf space in a mm-hmm. liquor store because with the with the lots that we're talking some vintages are only like two cases right very small um, yeah so it's got to be people that are just interested in exploring something different and we'll probably we'll we'll do internet sales of little explorer kits mm-hmm. where they can try different things i was going to ask if you had and any wine clubs available over your yeah yeah we're okay. working on that as well as these events and dinners and and scheduling tastings and tours and everything so people really have to come up and see it because otherwise it's just a random bottle on the shelf lots to look forward to can I get on a list, or can our listeners get on a list if they'd like more information about the wines? Sure. There's a, we have our website, and the email address is info at voxvineyards.com or harvest at voxvineyard.com, where we're, we are trying to develop a specific little uh, explanation of what's going on during the harvest, and that will be regularly updated as we develop the, uh, the dinners and events. Okay, very good. Go and sign up then. All right. Okay. And your website for anybody who wants to come and, and, I suppose, look at the dates and find out more about your history and... Sure, that wines. would be www.voxvineyards.com. Voxvineyards.com. Go check it out and plan to go up for the harvest tastings. You've been a wealth of knowledge today. I really appreciate what you're doing with the Missouri wines, and uh, we're going to keep following you. You'll appreciate it more after you have a bottle. Oh, I bet. <laughs> a couple. And if you'd like to learn more about how to grow your business, please visit our website at ithinkbigger.com. Follow us on Facebook, Thinking Bigger Business Media, or on Twitter at I Think Bigger. Have a great weekend. We'll see you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.